Amen. So today we're going to start a whole new teaching series, which is going to run for five Sundays. And we're calling it Nobody is Nobody. Uh, I went back and forth with a couple of ideas for titles for this series, but I ended up with this one, Nobody is Nobody. We, we, often, we often say here, I, I, oft, I often say that to us, like everybody counts because everybody has a story and everybody's story matters to God and to us. Every one of us has got a story. The pages of the Bible can contain the adventures of people, and, and some of them are very prominent. And if I threw some names out, we're very well acquainted with the names of the major characters in the Bible. But the truth is, there are a whole ton of other people in these pages that get a brief mention. And we really don't know a great deal more about them, but they're part of the whole story. So what we're going to do on these five Sundays is we're going to look at people who fall into one of two categories. Either they're very, they're hardly known, or we know what they did, but we don't know their names. Kind of like the Lone Ranger if you were born when I was. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's uh, so that's, that's what we're going to do. And the bottom line is just to emphasize the fact to every one of us that nobody's nobody. The main Bible verse that I'm linking with this series is in Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 and verse 25, which says this, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Every single person in this room, every single one of you watching online this morning, you are here in this world because God Himself gave you life and breath and everything else. I was looking around earlier this morning as folks were arriving and realizing there are some people in this room today who have been friends of mine for over 30 years. That means for over 30 years, they've listened to me preach. There will be a special reward in heaven <laughs> for those people. Now, the problem with listening to me preach for 30 years, the problem with it is this, that, that you've probably heard all my stories. So there's a story I love to tell that some of you have heard maybe multiple times before, but just be nice and look interested, okay? Because I, I, I love to tell the fact that when I was born, I was a surprise. Now, I don't mean my mother getting pregnant was a surprise. I mean until the moment I was born, I wasn't expected. Okay, now you're sitting there thinking, how the heck do you work that out, you know? So let me say a couple of things. My mother was a very intelligent person. She'd already had three children. She told the doctor she thought she was pregnant. The doctor said, no, you're not. So she got on with life. She was a, quite a large lady. So maybe she didn't notice. I don't know. All I know is on June the 26th, 1950, she was scrubbing the floor in our house. You used to do that in those days. 
She was on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor and she suddenly had this pain and she knew what it was. She started having contractions. They rushed her to the hospital and I was born. Total surprise, probably shock, let's tell the truth. Absolute shock. And I'm laying there apparently as a baby in the hospital and the nurse says, so what are you going to call him? My mother said, we didn't even know he was coming. We haven't thought about a name. And the nurse said, look at the size of those feet. Yeah, you're all looking now, right? Look at the size. 13. Look at the size of those feet. He's going to be a farmer. So, you should call him Roger. So, apparently, all farmers have got big feet and are called Roger. I didn't know that. I was totally unexpected. My mother tells the story, said, we didn't have anything ready for you, so when I took you home, we put you in a drawer from the dresser. I've always assumed they took it out of the dresser first. But when you think of it with a newborn baby, if you want to get a good night's sleep, it might be an idea just to be able to close the door. <laughs> All that to say, I might have been a total shock and surprise to my parents, but I wasn't to God. And you weren't to God. Every single one of us here today is here by divine design. He gives everyone life and breath and everything else, which brings me to the point that everybody matters. Nobody is nobody. No one. So I want to, I want, I want to go to a, a, a kind of uh, not too well-known character in the Bible this morning, and I want to pull some significant lessons from, from this p particular person. So it's quite interesting, when I've been pastoring for about a year, um, I was meeting with a group of pastors and I chatted to one, said, how are things going? He was probably about 10 years older than me. How are things going? He said, well, they're going pretty good, but I think I might ask my denomination to move me to a different church. I said, oh, is there a problem? He said, no, there's no problem, but I've been here two years and I just can't find a new sermon. I was 20 years old. I just started myself. I didn't know. I thought, oh, is that what happens? So I'm happy to tell you that 52 years after that, I'm going to preach on something today I've never preached on before. Because what I've discovered is you'll never plumb the depths of what's in this book, actually. Right? There's new stuff you're going to find all of the time. So let me give you a little bit of background history, for, especially for those who might not be familiar with it, okay? So Israel were God's chosen people. Saul was Israel's first king. So he was chosen by God, but the trouble with Saul was he became full of himself and stopped listening to what God was saying to him. And so there came a point in his life when the prophet Samuel came to Saul with these words in 1 Samuel 15. He said, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. You have rejected the word of the Lord, so the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. So, so Samuel says to Saul, you know, you're done. 
And then in the very next chapter, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it tells the story how God directed Samuel to the house of a man called Jesse, and there he told him to anoint Jesse's younger son, who was called David, and David would become the king in Saul's place. By the way, I just want to mention this. God said to Saul, you're done. Then he said to Samuel, anoint David, and then years passed by before David actually became king. You see, sometimes when God tells us things, we expect it to happen this afternoon. Sorry, every time God tells me things, I expect it to happen this afternoon, right? And I just want to remind some of you this morning, if you're feeling God's dragging his feet or God's forgotten you, or you misheard God and he didn't mean it, be patient. Because God's times are God's times. But God is always faithful. God's always faithful. Keep trusting, keep praying, keep believing. So David is anointed to be the king, the, the king of Israel. Uh, and, and then just after that again, the, the nation of Israel, they're being, they're being really um, persecuted by the Philistine nation. And, and the Philistine army is, is oppressing them. And the Philistine champion Goliath, you all know that story, right? And, and nobody will go and face Goliath. And then young David, who's, a, who's still, a, still a teenage boy, comes along and David says to the king, hey, let me go, I'll take care of the giant. And he does, right? You know that story. So, so David, David kills Goliath. And then, here's, here's, then they, they attacked the Philistines, they defeated the Philistines. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 6. When the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. There was a huge celebration after the battle. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he became paranoid about David. The people are saying that David did better than I did. I killed thousands, he killed tens of thousands. So Saul got paranoid. Here's what it says in verse 8. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, he didn't just keep a close eye on him. From that time onward, his jealousy and anger and his fear of David grew and grew and grew till he started to try to kill him. And one of the things that saved David was David had a close friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, and Jonathan would give him the heads up about what was happening. But that, that Bible book, 1 Samuel, ends actually with the Philistines getting strong again, attacking Israel, Jonathan being killed in battle, and the enemy coming down on Saul, and Saul, rather than be killed by the enemy, takes his own life with his own sword. And that's how 
the book ends. So David now eventually becomes king. There's an interesting way some churches are structured. Some churches are structured so that if the senior pastor was to retire or move on to some other ministry, then everyone else in, 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 in the pastoral team would resign to clear the deck so the new pastor could have their own team. Some churches function that way. Seems weird to me. But in Israel, in Saul and David's day, it was even more brutal than that. A new king coming in killed everybody who was related to or connected to the old king. Yeah, that fixed that problem. That was the way they did it. They, 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 killed, they, they, they would kill everyone. Which brings me to the story that I've never preached about before, the story of Mephibosheth. Try saying that three times fast. The story of Mephibosheth. I, like, I heard somebody say, who then? That's the exact point of what we're doing here today, right? It's, it's kind of, we're digging in saying, there's some people in this book that we can learn things from, but, but you know what? They may not be the most prominent people. The story of Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 3, the king, that is David now, the king asked, is there anyone left from the family of Saul? Listen to what he says here. Not so that I can get rid of them in case they're a threat to me. Is there anyone left from the family of Saul to whom I can show some godly kindness? Ziba, who had been a servant of Saul, told the king, yes, there is Jonathan's son, that's Mephibosheth, lame in both feet. So what the Bible tells us is that at the time of Saul and Jonathan's death in that battle with the Philistines, Mephibosheth's nanny picked him up and ran with him because she was afraid that the enemy would come to the palace next looking for him because he was next in line for the throne. And as she was running with him in her arms, she tripped and she dropped him and he fell and he damaged his feet in such a way that he was never able to walk. So David says, is there anybody left? And they said, well, there's Mephibosheth. He, he's, he's disabled. And, and David said, bring him to me. Now, you've got to understand because Mephibosheth grew up in this environment where if you were related to the last king, chances are you were going to die. So he gets the word, David wants to talk to you because David wants to bless you. And it's like, well, he's got to say that, hasn't he? You know, David wants to see you so he can kill you. You know, you're not going to go. So he said, David wants to see you. So he's, and Mephibosheth is like, what do I do? So he comes into the presence of the king, 2 Samuel 9 and verse 6. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated, let's get the right word, prostrated himself. He was terrified. He fell flat on his face to the floor. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. And then David said to him in verse 7, do not fear. Do not fear. There was no need for him to be afraid. And ra rather than kill him, what David said to Mephibosheth is this, 
he said, I want you to come and live here in the palace with me. I want you to eat your meals with me at my table. And all the property that your father owned, uh, your grandfather Saul owned, that basically belongs to me now, I'm going to give back to you. All his lands I'm going to give back to you. I'm going to give you your grandfather's old servant, and he and his family and his servants will look after the land. And the Bible tells us that that guy had 15 sons, which seems a little bit extravagant to me, but anyway, he had 15 sons, dear Lord, uh, and he had 20 servants. And David said, they're going to look after the property, and I'm giving it all back to you. So it says in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Interesting to me that it made that point again. He was lame in both feet. But the thing is this, at that time, a monarch was all about the look and show. So everything in the palace was splendor. Everything was magnificent. They would only have the best physical specimens as the guards and the soldiers who were in the palace. And a king would never have someone who had any disability in his palace because he would think it would made him, make him look weak. But David took in Mephibosheth, who according to the way they did things in the day should have died. And he brought him into his palace so he could live there. God called David a man after my own heart. And why is the story of Mephibosheth of the remotest real interest to you and I today? Because if you haven't seen it already, I'll just state it plainly. This is the story of what God has done for every single one of us. He took us from where we were, undeserving as we were, messed up as we were, and He brought us into His house, and He brought us into His family, and He blessed us beyond measure. It's a great story, and I want to encourage you this morning, never lose your wonder at the grace and the goodness of God. The Bible puts it this way, we who were not a people, we were nobody, we are now the people of God. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? That is what God has done for us. And the story of Mephibosheth is the story of you and me. It's the story of everyone who's been found by the Lord. It's the story of everyone who's been brought into the family of God. It's a wonderful parallel of the experience of God taking nobodies and making them His own children. Okay, so if you're, if you're kind of used to being with me, know my style of preaching. That was the introduction. I've got six sermon. I've got six points now I want to go through. It's true, but it's not, it's going to be short, all right? But, but I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to show you. We're good on time. It's fine. It's cold out. Uh, so, so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I just want to run you through just the steps that we're here, all right? So Mephibosheth, number one, was born for great things, Okay. 
His grandfather was the king. His father should have become the king. Mephibosheth would become the king after him. He was born for great things. And here's the thing. Every single one of us in this place today, every single one of you watching online, you were not only born because God willed it to be, but you were born because God had a plan for you, and you were born for great things. You were. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were born to do God's purposes. Last year, the art world apparently was enthralled by a bookmark that was found in an in a obscure book about French peasants. I mean, that must be obscure. Who really wants to read a book on that? But anyway, they, they found a bookmark in this book about French peasants. It was a narrow, thin piece of paper, and there were three basic sketches on it. And, you know, it was just nothing. It was just a piece of paper with a few little drawings on it. And then they found it, actually, they were done by Van Gogh. And that little paper bookmark with the basic sketches on it now sits in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. Not because they're creative masterpieces. <laughs> they're not Starry Night or Irises or any of the well-known paintings of Van Gogh. They're, they're just doodles that the artist did at some time. It's not that they're brilliant pieces of work it's because of who did them. You know what makes you special today? Who made you? Who made you? That's what makes you special. That's what makes me special. I was born for great things. You were born for great things. Our value is not in how we see ourselves. Our value is whose stamp we bear, whose signatures on our lives. We were made by God. Mephibosheth was born for great things. Secondly, he was disabled by life's events. He got messed up physically. Dropped by his nurse, his feet seriously injured, and now he's disabled. Intended for, intended for good things, and then he got messed up. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. The Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God made us with great plans. And then without exception, every single one of us decided, you know what, I want to do life my way. I want to go along my path. And maybe you do it without thought for God, or maybe it's like, well, you know, I, I believe in God, and I recognize God, and it's all good, and it's all cool, and everything in its place. But the truth is, left to ourselves, we never go in a good direction. I'll say that again. Left to ourselves, we never go in a good direction. So the fact is, we end up like Mephibosheth, not, not physically necessarily, of course, but spiritually, sometimes emotionally, disabled by life's events, wandered off. And then, and then Mephibosheth ended up living in a desolate place. 
He lived in a place called Lodibar, and Lodibar was a place where, that was kind of, it was a dry, barren area. Nothing grew there. Nobody wanted to live there. It was like the back end of beyond. And that's where he ended up. A backwater. Afraid for his life still. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, where he went away from the father and messed up his life. And then in Luke 15, 15, when, when he ends up broke and wondering how he's going to make it, it says he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, which was the lowest job that a Jewish man could ever do. In fact, he shouldn't be doing it. And it says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he, he'd wandered off from the father's house and he ended up living in a desolate place. And some of us here this morning could identify again with, with Mephibosheth and say, yeah, that was me. That was me. Injured, crippled, disabled by life, off in some place by myself. But then here's the, here's the next bit, which is the great bit. Mephibosheth didn't, did I say that right? Mephibosheth didn't come looking for David. David came looking for Mephibosheth. And here's the great things, folks. We didn't go looking for God. God came looking for us. Now you may say, no, no, I decided one day I was going to, no, no, where do you think that all started from? No, it was, you know, God met me, but I decided I'd come to church one day. Yeah, 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 let's back up a bit, let's back up a bit. Who do you think was prompting you to go to church that day? Jesus said this to his disciples, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And in case you're in any doubt this morning, and this just undergirds your value and mine, we didn't choose God. God chose us. God chose us. That's why we sing amazing grace. Amazing. God chose us. The king was searching for Mephibosheth. And thank God for the day when he came and he found us. When God reached out to us, when God reached down to us, If, you've, if, you've, uh, if you're here with us for the first time, I'll give you a heads up. The verse I am now going to quote is the Bible verse you will hear more than any other verse in this church. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You'll hear that over and over again because our mission statement is that we as a church exist to seek and to save those that are lost. But just take a fresh look at those words because we can get so familiar with them, they kind of just wash off of us. But I want you to notice what it says. You know, the Son of Man came, first word, to seek. Jesus came 
looking. It wasn't just, I'm here if you want me. No, Jesus came looking for us. Jesus came searching for us. He came to seek those that are lost. And if you know the Lord today, you know the Lord because He wanted you, and He was looking for you, and He drew you. And if you don't really have a relationship with Jesus now, I want to suggest the fact you were here this Sunday morning, the fact you were listening to what I'm sharing right now is maybe an indication to you that the Lord is looking for you right now and He's seeking for you and He wants to bring you into His kingdom and into His family. Something's going on. Why else would you be in church on a Sunday morning? Something's going on. Why else would you be watching this sitting at home when you could be watching, I don't know, is there anything to watch? I'm never watching TV Sunday mornings. Anyway, you get my point. Maybe God's looking for you. Maybe God's calling you. So the king goes and looks for him. And then Mephibosheth is welcomed into the palace. Jesus tells the story in the Gospels of a man who was getting a a, a wedding banquet ready and uh, he had invited a lot of people, and just before the time for the wedding, he sent out his servants to remind everybody what time they needed to be there, and, uh, and they all started making excuses why they couldn't come. And in the end, the guy was so ticked off, he said, forget about all of them. Matthew 22, 9, go into the busiest intersections in town and invite anyone you find to the banquet. The servants went out on the streets and rounded up everyone they laid eyes on, good and bad regardless. And so the banquet was on, every place filled. That's an illustration of what God does. God opens the doors and welcomes us in to where He is. God invites us to be part of His family. What a miracle. Mephibosheth, a disabled, frightened person living in obscurity in Lodibar. And now he's welcomed into the king's palace. You and I, far from God, doing our best to make life make sense. And suddenly, and suddenly, God invites us into His family. And more than that, He wasn't just invited into the palace. He was given a place at the king's table. So it's not just a case of God invites us into His family, but God invites us to share our lives with Him. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus said, look, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you hear me call and open the door, I'll come in and sit down to supper with you. I will sit down to supper with you, and you will sit alongside me at the head table. Jesus doesn't just say, I'll forgive you. I'll make you my child. He says, I want to share life with you from this point onwards. David just didn't say to Mephibosheth, you're okay now, no need to be scared. He said, come right in, come right in. Let's have a relationship. How many of you know the dinner table is where some of the most significant conversations and times in family life take place? Right? 
I mean, some of that's been lost in the 21st century chaos. But some of, some of the best times I can uh, remember is, is kind of, you know, earlier in life when our, our kids were younger and we were at home, is, is like the four of us sitting around the table every night. And we used to sit to dinner every night. And we'd be there and we'd be chatting about the day and we'd be talking about stuff. And we'd talk about nonsense and we'd laugh and we'd, you know, precious times. And God says, that's what I'm inviting you into. I want to live life close to you. And then, and then here we go, the, the, the last thing. Mephibosheth was provided for for the rest of his days. David said, I want you to eat in the palace but also you're going to have all the land back that belonged to your grandfather. And people will work it for you, so they'll make sure you, you've got an income there. And you know what? Everyone who is a child of God has this promise. Psalm 23 and verse 6, surely goodness, I want to say mercy because that's what it says in the version I learned it in, and that's right. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's interesting that that verse starts with the word surely. It's like emphasizing it and making a point. So if there was any question in your mind today, if there was any doubt in your mind today, listen, God has promised His goodness and His mercy will be with you every day of your life. You might say, I'm not feeling it now, Roger. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, it's not about what you're feeling. It's about what God has promised. And I don't mean that to sound cold. I mean that because we got we to live by truth and not by emotion. And the truth is, God has promised His goodness and mercy will be with us every day of our life. And when this life is over, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mephibosheth came from nowhere with nothing, deserving nothing, to a home in the palace, fellowshipping with the king, and everything taken care of. And if you know Christ is your Savior today, here's the reality. What has happened to you is that God has taken you from a place where you were alone by yourself and separated from Him, and He has brought you into His home, into His family, into relationship with Him, and under the canopy of His blessing every day of your life until you enter heaven itself. Thank God. Listen. Listen. Nobody's nobody. Nobody's nobody. God's signature is on every single person listening, watching right now. Made by God for God's purposes. And if you are here today, watching online today, and you've never really had a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you today, come back home, because the doors are open wide, and God wants you to be part of His family. Don't keep going it alone, but today, open your heart to Christ and say, Lord, I want to be one of your children, and I want to be part of your family. Let today be your Mephibosheth moment.
when you come away from that place of isolation and you come into the palace and live life as a child of God. Let's pray together.